excited about that. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Luke's Gospel. Uh, yes, we're back in Luke. We took a bit of a break over the Christmas period, and we're back working our way through the Gospel of Luke. If you're new and visiting us at Sovereign Grace, we believe in expositional preaching, taking the Bible and letting the Bible set the agenda each and every week as we move through a text in the Bible, a book in the Bible. And we're pick, picking, or we have been working through uh, the third gospel, Luke's gospel. And so each week when we go to prepare our messages, we don't actually know what the topic that God wants to address us on of that morning is. And so, friends, as we dive into Luke chapter 12, verse 1, I just want to encourage you, brace yourself. Uh, this is a strong word from our Lord Jesus this morning, a word that he's ordained for us already this morning as a local church. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to need God's help this morning to hear and receive this appropriately, not to put up the, the, the walls, the fenders, and not to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us as a church this morning. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime... When so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, that's Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the laven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you this morning once again as your people together that we come by the finished work of our Lord Jesus. Thank you again that after a long break, we can return once more to study, to examine the testimony of your life contained in these words. And look, God, as your people who are often distracted with hearts that are often hardened towards you, Lord, we ask and we pray, have your way amongst us this morning as your people. Speak to us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, one of my favorite recent television series is called the Netflix series, A Series of Unfortunate Events, starring Neil Patrick Harris. And Patrick Harris, for those not familiar, plays the character Count Olaf, the arch villain, or the arch villain and terrible actor, or as he says, actor, who is looking to collect the huge fortune of the recently orphaned Baudelaire children. In episode two, uh, which is one of my favorite scenes, he appears in disguise with a hat and glasses and, and a costume at a local bank to arrange a meeting with Mr. Poe, who is the banker who has been charged with managing the Baudelaire children, now orphans, affairs. And the scene plays out as following. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Count Olaf, walks in with his disguise and says to the receptionist, I have an appointment. And the receptionist looks up from her desk and says, name? And Count Olaf uh, looks in panic at Mr. Poe's daily schedule, which he spots on her desk and looks through the list of names and his eyes fall on one entry in the schedule of his appointments, which is haircut. And so he replies, haircut. And the receptionist says, haircut? And he says, yes, Sika haircut is my name. Jessica haircut? Yes. Jessica. Now, Neil Patrick Harris's character, Count Orloff, is so hilarious because his lying and pretending is so incredibly obvious. You know, throughout the whole uh, series, the theme running throughout is that every single time he pretends to be some new character in order to entrap the Baudelaire's, it's so obvious, and yet it's only the children who can spot him each and every time. And although we might laugh at the kind of ludicrous example of Count Olaf and his terrible acting, there is a sense in which all of us, in various ways, and at various times, and to various degrees, find ourselves in life acting, playing a part. We seek to conceal our true identity from others. We seek to hide elements of ourselves that we are ashamed of or embarrassed about from others. You know, maybe you've got some sin you've committed. Maybe there's something horrific even that was done to you. Maybe there's some sort of repeated failure or 
a genuine question you have about your faith or or even that your faith that you have in Jesus, your colleagues have absolutely no idea about it. Maybe it's simply a desire to appear more successful or popular or wealthy or influential than you actually are. And so you find yourself exaggerating. You find yourself lying. You find yourself playing a part. You find yourself concealing. Maybe even right here, right now at church, you're mindful of ways you've been playing a part. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why do we do this? Why do we almost intuitively desire to put on a show for other people? Well, today's passage is a somber and serious warning to us that will get to the heart of what causes us to conceal aspects of who we are. Uh, If you're a note taker this morning and you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, Fearless and Faithful. And really, there's three points that come straight from the text this morning, but one real heart of this passage, burden of this passage for us as a church this morning, and that is this, that the fear of the Lord would release us to faithfully share Christ with others. Friends, I believe God wants to release us with the fear of the Lord this morning. I believe that's the burden of this passage, to release us with the fear of the Lord And then release us to faithfully share Christ with others. So that's where we're going this morning. Okay, let's dive right into our passage with point number one. A warning against hypocrisy. Well, just by way of context to get us back in Luke's gospel, it's been a while. Uh, Luke's gospel was written by one of the earliest disciples, a doctor and companion of Paul. Uh, who collected eyewitness accounts to arrange them into an orderly history, which is Luke's gospel. And Jesus, having begun his ministry uh, at around 30 years of age, in chapter 5, calls his first disciples, training them with what it means to follow him. By chapter 9, he sends them out on his first mission to share his message, and they return ecstatic about how God has used them powerfully in and throughout the region of Judea. Jesus then sets his gaze towards Jerusalem in chapter 9, 51, a Jewish way of saying he was determined. He was determined to begin his long march towards the cross. He was, in fact, born to die. And Jesus, with his gaze on Jerusalem, his gaze on the cross, knowing what awaits him, begins to train his disciples. He begins to teach them to pray, and he begins to teach them against the religious ruling class called the Pharisees, who are at first curious about Jesus, this new teacher, but quickly begin to be enraged with him and plot against him about how they might remove him. Read the verses before our passage begins in chapter 11, verse 53 and 54, it says, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many different things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. See, the religious elite have made up their minds about Jesus. For them, he is a fraudster, 
a threat, a dangerous man, and they are trying to catch him out because they want to remove him. And so we read at the beginning of our passage in chapter 12, verse 1. It says the following. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the laven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Despite the criticism and antagonism he is receiving from the Pharisees, he's hugely popular at this time. And thousands are gathering to see Jesus. The crowd is so large and agitated, they're kind of trampling on one another just to get close to him. And Jesus focuses in on his disciples in this moment for an important lesson. Watch out, he says, for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Seems like an odd thing to say, doesn't it? Watch out for the yeast. I mean... What does it mean? Are they just like really intense bakers or something? Well, Jesus is using symbolic language that would have been easy for his disciples to understand. This was a time when people baked their own bread. And yeast is something that spreads very easily. Yeast is contagious. You mix flour and yeast with water, maybe a little bit of oil, and you leave it and return, and it's increased in size. The dough is raised. Now, we know that yeast as a fungus consumes sugars, which release CO2, which expand the dough. But the point is the dough looks bigger. It looks larger. But it's an illusion. It's just filled with gas. There's no substance. It's just puffed up. Well, what is the yeast of the Pharisees? What is the thing that puffs them up and makes them look bigger? That's contagious, that spreads rapidly and quickly. The answer is hypocrisy. Now, the Greek word for hypocrisy here is a word that actually comes from the theater. It refers to the mask that an actor would wear in order to play a part. Now, we tend to take the word hypocrite and hypocrisy in our culture and day somewhat more narrowly. We take the term a hypocrite to refer to a self-righteous person who judges others but does not keep the rules themselves. But the word here is broader. A hypocrite is someone who's living a double life. A hypocrite is someone who's acting in a role and concealing the truth about themselves from others. A hypocrite is someone who's not genuine. You know, just the ABC this week, uh, it's been about this woman called Anne Neal and they've been commemorating her life because she was a, a Secret Service housewife who lived an incredible double life in the 1950s and had infiltrated the Communist Party in Australia, playing the part of a friendly housewife who was interested in communism but who, in fact, was working for ASIO. She was acting. She was playing a part. And the Communist Party had no idea. And that, my friends, is much closer to the meaning of the word hypocrite here. Well, how were the Pharisees only playing a part? How were they only acting? Well, we read the following in chapter 11, verse 39. 
It says, and the Lord said to him, that's the Pharisee he was dining with, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees are just concerned with outward appearances, but not what is on the inside. It's all about show. It's all about performance. It's all an act. Verse 42, he goes on. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk all over them without even knowing it. You're all about ticking off these little details of tithing and things, but you've missed the most important things, loving God and acting justly. Notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have done the tithing piece. He says, no, you should have done both. You love prestige and honor in the community, but you're really like unmarked graves. You look on the outside like something innocuous, like a garden path or a bit of lawn, but really you're filled with death and defilement. Jesus is so critical of the Pharisees because he could see that they were just putting on a religious show. They were just puffed up like yeast, pretending to be godly, but actually wicked. And Jesus wants his disciples to see something else about putting on a religious show, to see something really important about what's going on here. And that is that it's a dangerous waste of time because it's just a matter of time before you're going to get found out. Read with me verses 2 and 3. He says this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus is teaching his disciples, there's a day of judgment coming when every secret, every careless word or thought will be revealed before the throne of God. There's no point in trying to live a double life and put on a show. You'll be exposed. Trying to keep things hidden, whispering secrets in private rooms. It's a word that refers to like an inner chamber of a house, a room for precious goods like a cellar or something, secretively whispering where no one can hear. These secrets, says Jesus, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. You know, in the first century, uh, flat rooftops of houses could be used as kind of a, a stage for public announcements. And Jesus is saying, one day, everybody will know. There's no point in living a double life thinking you can feel God. He's omniscient, and you will be found out, says Jesus. But Jesus' point isn't simply to criticize the Pharisees for playing a part, for living double lives, for pretending to be godly. He's actually out to warn his disciples. Read with me again the second part of that first verse. Jesus says, Beware of the yeast, the laven of the Pharisees. That word beware, it means to be on a state of alert about. It means to be concerned about. Jesus wants them to see that they need to watch out for this as well. 
That word lave and that word yeast, it, it spreads and it inflates and you are at risk, Jesus is saying to his disciples. See, the truth is, friends, we live in an age where playing a part, where putting on a show, where living a fake life is absolutely everywhere. Just one example, you know, I've been thinking about this week. And that's social media. Now, don't hear me wrong. This is not to say that social media is evil. And this is not to say that no good can come from it. I just want to pause on this point to help us think a little bit about our culture. What do we actually post on social media? Well, we post our favorite photos, our videos of our favorite moments. And in doing so, we seek to paint a positive picture of ourselves, do we not? We all know that you can't actually tell someone's godliness or the state of their relationship based on their posts. I mean, most of us know people that paint these gorgeous photos but are walking through a dark period of their lives. You know, so often what we see on social media is just self-marketing. It's not actually real. We're trying to project an image of ourselves where things are better than they really are. And how do I know this? Well, because there's this massive long list of things that most people would never even dream of posting on social media. I mean, who would actually like do like a little video on their post-Christmas belly? You know, I'm just going to video that bad boy and put it right up there. You know, a harsh word you said behind your friend's back on video. No one would post that up. The canister of oil that you poured down the drain when no one was looking, thinking, oh, what, what big deal? Anything that you might have said or thought that was in any way homophobic or transphobic or racist. And even when you do post, you know, pictures of your house being a mess or your kids being crazy or your hair all over the place, it's never really to make you look bad, but to say, I'm just like you, I'm so relatable. Why do we do this? Why do we spend so much time and energy trying to show the world only the best things about ourselves? It's because we're trying to cultivate an image. And we're playing a part. We're putting on a show. Now, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not this morning, I believe he's out to warn you. Watch out. Pay attention. Beware of hypocrisy. It's not only contagious, but it's pointless because you cannot fool God. And that's point number one, a warning against hypocrisy. But not just point number two, a warning against hypocrisy. Point number two, the fear that will set you free. See, Jesus doesn't just leave his disciples here with a warning against hypocrisy. He wants to help them to see its root cause. Now, here's a question I've been thinking about again. It's that same question. Why do we, why do I, why do we, why do I constantly try and paint an image of myself that makes me appear better to people than I am, than we are? And according to Jesus, the answer to that question is, because we're afraid of the wrong things. 
Now, a word of caution here for us before we read. If you're newer to the Bible, these words can seem very strong, even harsh from Jesus, so harsh that they may, in fact, surprise you. But these are kind words, actually. They're designed to reassure. They're written in love to Jesus' disciples. How do I know that? Well, in verse 4, he says, my friends. These are people he loves. Twice, he says, verse 4 and verse 7, do not fear. These are designed to eliminate the wrong kinds of fear. These words are to build up and to encourage, to guard against that wrong type of fear. You see, there is a kind of fear that will entrap you and will encourage you to live a fake, pretend life. And that fear is the fear of man. The fear of man is a fear or an anxiety of what people think of you. It leads you not only to worry about people's opinions, but to act in a manner to please them and impress them. And in doing so, the fear of man is entrapping. It's been described as like having a handle on your back where anyone can grab you and turn you in any direction they please. See, why did the Pharisees care so much about outward appearance? Why did they care about being seen as good people, even though they were far from it? Well, the answer is the fear of man. They were in awe of the opinions of people and not of God. And so Jesus wants his disciples to be freed from that kind of fear. And so he says the following in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus wants his friends to see that there's no point in fearing people, that the worst thing a person can do is to kill you. And after that, they've got no power at all. But God controls your eternal destiny. Jesus says God can cast you into Gehenna, or in the Hebrew, Gehinnom, a physical place that to Jesus' disciples was a foreboding symbol. A physical place on the southwestern slope of the Temple Mount, a valley with an incredibly dark past. You know, prior to King Josiah, those living in Jerusalem had set up a shrine to the false god Baal Molech, or Molech, called Topeth. And it was at this place that they sacrificed their children. And Josiah, when he came to the throne, dismantled Topheth and desecrated it. And he turned it into a rubbish dump for burning waste. In Jesus' day, that purpose remained. It was a graphic reminder to people of wickedness. They sacrificed children in that place. Of suffering. Imagine what these children went through. And of shame. And to Jesus' readers, it was a picture of hell. 
Rather than being caught up in the fear of man and putting on a show for people, Jesus wants his disciples to fear God. He wants them to fear God so much he repeats it three times. Read with me again, verse 5. But I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You know, for many of us, this idea of fearing God is new or perhaps even concerning I mean, in Western culture, we place people at the center of everything. People matter most. And what we want from life, our, our desires are most important, more important than anything else. And if God exists, then he must exist to serve us, to make us happy. And therefore, therefore, he must be loving to the extent that he gives us our heart's desires and pleases us. He must be like a, a life coach or a genie or a grandpa in the sky. And so God being feared, this idea, it's puzzling. What does it mean? Well, the fear of God is simply living to please God out of the knowledge that he is the sovereign judge of all creation. Put another way, the fear of God is simply giving him the reverence and the honor that he deserves. See, this passage is not designed to freak you out. It's actually designed to stop you from being afraid of the wrong things. It's to stop you from freaking out. You see, if God really is all-knowing, if God really is all-powerful, if God really is all-wise and all-good, that should give you wonderful confidence when you're living for him. And so we read in verses 6 and 7 the following. Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, God cares about the cheapest items in the market. Sparrows that are worth only a few cents or a few asaria, which is a a, a tiny coin worth hardly anything at all. He even numbers the hairs on your head. How many of us even know how many hairs we have on our head? And Jesus' point is that it's not only that God is almighty and powerful, controlling our eternal destiny, but that he intimately knows each one of us and cares for us as well. You are of more value than many sparrows, says Jesus. You are precious to God. Now, I just want to pause on this point for a moment. And I want to address those who among us are aware that you have been concealing things from others. Maybe in gospel community. Every time it comes to prayer points, You're deliberately vague, despite a significant trial in your life. Maybe there's a sin in your life and you're so ashamed, you won't even share it with your closest friend. Maybe you just generally paint a picture of your godliness that outshines what's real and never share your questions or your wrestles. Here's a question I just want us to pause and think about this morning. What does your hiding suggest 
about who you really fear. The truth is, if we're seeing God rightly, we have nothing to fear. He made us to know him and love him. And yet we rejected him. But such is the heartbeat of God. That did not deter him. The message of the Bible is that he, God Almighty, author of life, infinite in power, sent his son, born into squalor, living the life we failed to live, humbling himself, despised and rejected, going to the cross to pay for it all, and he did it for you. Their church is the heartbeat of God for us this morning. On the cross, as Jesus hung, paying for it all, to give us forgiveness more, to allow us to be reconciled to God forever. That is the heartbeat of God for us. What possible sin is there in your life for which the blood of Jesus does not say, paid in full? If you're trusting in Jesus, friends, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Period. You see, the only way to be free of the fear of man is to have your vision captivated by something greater than the opinions of people. To have your vision captivated by the self-sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you. Now think about how our lives would be different if we didn't fear others knowing the worst about us. Imagine the way we would be free to share, to pour out our lives to other people, to love and serve Christ and others. We'd be so caught up with amazement, we'd forget ourselves and live to please him and those around us. Think about the radical change that would bring to a person's life if they were really transfixed by the grace and power of our Lord Jesus hanging across for you. Well, friends, that's point number two, the fear that sets you free. Not just point number two, point number three, life that is open and honest. You know, Jesus now moves to explain to his disciples how the fear of the Lord should overflow into our approach to life in a fallen world that's opposed to God. And Jesus has already hinted at the reality that despite the huge crowds around them at the moment, they will face opposition. Not only are the Pharisees already trying to trap him in his speech, but Jesus has been saying, don't fear those who can only kill you, implying actually people are going to try and kill you. See, Jesus wants his disciples to see that there is a danger, a a, a form of hypocrisy that they will face that is different to the false piety of the Pharisees. And in a world opposed to God, the fear of man will tempt them to conceal their allegiance to Christ, to hide it away. And to put on a show, yes, to pretend, yes, but to pretend that they are just like everybody else. Read with me verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, 
the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Acknowledge, says Jesus. The one who acknowledges me, that word means to profess allegiance to, to commit oneself to, to commit oneself to something with or someone with a promise or a confession. Jesus is saying, anyone who professes allegiance to me, who commits himself to me before other people, I will profess allegiance to. I will commit myself to that person before God in heaven. There will be a a bond between Jesus and that person. Now, he's not talking about like a ticket to heaven, you know, just say the magic words like, I follow Jesus and boom, done. No, he's talking about someone who's made a genuine commitment to Christ. And Jesus says also the reverse is true. Anyone who denies me, or perhaps better, anyone who would, who would disown me. He's not talking about a moment where in panic you lied, but a pattern of rejecting Christ, disowning him. See, to live with the fear of the Lord not only means an end to pretending to be better than you are, it also means, for those of us who follow Christ, confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Speaking about your loyalty to him, your allegiance to him, and his ways in all things. It means living in an open and honest way before others, not only with regard to your faults, but with regard to your heart for Christ as well. You know, I think one of the greatest challenges we face in sharing Christ with those around us is our natural disposition to hide, to hide from others. Rather than walking in openness and with honesty about our faith, our life, our wrestles and our struggles, we, we keep them hidden away from others. Now, perhaps to a Christian friend, we might confess a struggle to trust the Lord in illness or some area of growth in faith that you're excited about, but to a colleague, we wouldn't dream. You're asked in the office or at school, how are you going? And rather than to share, I'm really struggling to trust Jesus with being single. You say, I'm fine. How are you? Now, I'm not saying we have to have Jesus in every single sentence, but that we often keep a whole central part of who we are hidden away from other people. And this is really just another form of the yeast of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy, acting apart, rather than simply living openly and honestly. Here's some questions, some difficult questions I've been thinking about this week. How well do your friends and colleagues know you? If I can just press you a little bit more on that point, if you allow me just to, to, to ask another question, a, a difficult question, would they be surprised to learn about just how much Jesus means to you? You know, if you're really struggling in this area, I believe the Lord Jesus wants to encourage you. Jesus moves on to explain that we have wonderful help to live openly and honestly before others. Read with me verse 10. 
He says, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Firstly, Jesus gives a word of comfort to those who fear they might have disowned the Lord Jesus at some point. There is forgiveness for you, says Jesus. You know, just as the apostle Peter disowned Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times and was forgiven and used mightily, it's the same for anyone who trusts in Christ. But this next sentence, however, due to frequent misunderstanding and misapplication, has caused deep anguish to countless Christians. Read with me verse 10 again. He says, he says this, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Okay, whoa. What on earth does that mean? What is this sin that will not be forgiven, the unforgivable sin? What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And most importantly, have I committed it? What Jesus is describing is someone who has come to know something of him. It's against the Holy Spirit. So they've come to have revealed to them in some way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, some knowledge of God the Son, God the Father, and the action of God the Holy Spirit. There has been a revelation to this person. And in Mark's gospel, we learn that what Jesus is talking about here is someone who, after having all of this revealed to them, rejects the work of God through Jesus and labels it as the work of the devil and not of God. This is someone whose heart is so hardened against God, so against the work of God that they accuse Jesus of doing Satan's work. And by definition, says Jesus, this is someone who will not be forgiven. You see, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, concerned that you may have committed this sin, listen to these words of J.C. Ryle. In light of this, J.C. Ryle summarizes, those who are troubled with fears that they have sinned the unpardonable sin are in fact the very people who have not sinned it. You see, if you're troubled by the thought that this might be you, you, for matter of fact, have absolutely, definitely not committed this sin. This unpardonable sin is the sin of someone with a heart that is so hard against Christ, they say, this is demonic. And they would not be troubled in the faintest about whether they have committed it at all. If you're troubled, it's not you. You simply have a tender conscience. Well, we read on verse 11. Jesus goes on. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should defend yourself or how you should defend yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, Jesus says, you're going to face opposition for following me. And when it comes, don't be afraid. My spirit will be with you. You know, for some of us, the reality that to most people, most of the time, we've been concealing our faith in Christ is a source of guilt and shame. Well, friends, this morning, it shouldn't be. You know, Christ has not only paid for your sin of denying him in full, he's not only working to change you from the inside out, but he's promised to help you as well. 
You don't need to worry about what you'll say in those moments. He will speak for you. His spirit will teach you what to say. We only need to be like the first disciples to ask him for courage to speak. So, in closing, if you're someone here today and you know that the Lord has his finger on you, you know, I've been speaking and and, and you're just realizing as I'm sharing God's word with you this morning, you just sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and saying, yes, this is you. You've been really struggling with the fear of men. You've been struggling and hiding from others. I just want to encourage you. Share it with someone. Share it with someone. Share it with someone in your gospel community. You know, we're just about to head into a special season as a church. Uh, We talked at the Envision Night about how in a few weeks' time, we're going to spend a whole term devoted to growing in sharing Jesus with others together as a whole church. And so this is really a moment for you that I believe God wants to encourage you in because God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to those who humble themselves. And it's a wonderful way to grow for you will be just to share it with someone else, to let them in, take the mask off in group, let people see you and enjoy the wonderful forgiveness you have at the cross. Well, as we end our time together, I just wanted to end with a story that actually just comes from my own life of where God has been doing this very thing in my life. You know, friends, there was a time in my life where I was struggling in my faith and I was concealing it. I was hiding it from others. And I remember the moment exactly I was sitting in high school and uh, teacher was writing on the chalkboard and his name was Mr. Panazza. He was a Italian-Australian guy with like curly short hair, moustache and long socks, you know, in the short shorts at the time. It was fashionable at the time, I guess. But And uh, there was this girl, Melissa Hush is her name, and she was sitting in front of me and she was a Christian. And I was with my friends and we were making a joke just to make fun of her. And that day we were making a joke to make fun of her while the teacher's back was turned about being a Christian. I don't even remember how the joke went. And Melissa Hush, filled with the Holy Spirit, turned around and she spoke. She pointed at the group, but it felt like she was just pointing at me. She said, don't you laugh. I believe in this. Not only did the Holy Spirit fill my friend, Melissa Hush, to lead her to speak to me, but the words she said, it changed my life. I, in that moment, was deeply convicted about where my allegiance was. And the Lord has been helping me ever since. Friends, would the fear of the Lord release us to faithfully share Christ with others? Let's pray. Well, God, we want to thank you this morning for your word, your gracious word, a gift from you. And we thank you that although we did not plan this topic for this morning, you planned it because you decided to care for us, to teach us. And Lord, we want to learn from you. Lord, our heart's desire as a people, as a church, is to honor you, Lord. We don't want to live like Pharisees. We don't want to play a part. We don't want to put a mask on. We don't want to be acting and pretending to be someone else. We want to be faithful to you. So Lord, help us to fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus on a cross for us. Help us to see all of our sin and all of our shame was taken by him. And then may we fearlessly, may we boldly 
live faithfully before you all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.